What I learned was that there is a myth associated with malaria, and it's a deadly myth. And it simply goes like this. When I start taking the medication and I feel better, I'm cured. And see, what would happen is I'd fly a a blood slide out in the airplane, a sample of somebody's blood to a lab. They would say, no, this person has malaria, and this is the type, and this is the medication they would need. And a healthcare worker would give them a little bubble card, you know, the pills that you just punch out, and there'd be like, I think, 20 on there. And you'd take one in the morning, one in the evening for 10 days. And they would give it to the person. They'd say, take take this medication, and it will eradicate the malaria from your system. And so they would take it day one, two, three, four. My goodness, the fever's gone. The chills are gone. Day five, I'm feeling good. I'm back to normal. I've got my strength back. Why waste this medicine? I'll save it for next time. Or I'll save it for one of my family members that may get the same systems. And so they would put the card away in a safe place and go on about their business. And what they didn't realize was that they were killing themselves by not finishing the course of treatment. And not only that, they were becoming a carrier for those around them. If a mosquito then bit them, they were still infected. If it bit somebody else, then that person would now be infected with malaria. The myth that when you felt better, you were cured was killing the people. But when somebody who, who could speak the language and knew the culture of these tribal people would, would go and sit down with them and give them the medication and explain to them, you've got little microorganisms, you've got little critters inside of you in your bloodstream that are making you sick, and it takes 10 days to kill them off. It takes 10 days to beat them down. In three days or four, you'll feel better, but you haven't beat them down yet. You've got to fight them for 10 days, and here's 10 days worth of medication. Finish it off, and you will eradicate the malaria from your system. When that truth was injected into the situation, the myth was dispelled. Oh, just because I feel better doesn't mean I am better. No, 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 no. That's a myth. Don't believe the myth. The myth was deadly and continues to be deadly to people today. In the passage that Pastor Peter just read for us, the Apostle Paul is addressing some myths, some spiritual myths, and they're deadly spiritual myths. And Paul knows that, and he confronts them head on. He, he knows his audience here. He knows what they're prone to be thinking, and he knows that they have a tendency to believe some spiritual myths, and they're deadly. I want us to look at a couple of those this morning. The first one we find in in verse 3, and it simply says this. This is the myth. My unfaithfulness nullifies God's faithfulness. My unfaithfulness nullifies God's faithfulness. So what is Paul saying here when he throws this myth out that he knows some of his people may be believing? That, that they have this understanding that, that God created them and they're not perfect and sometimes they're not faithful and somehow their unfaithfulness reflects poorly on God and actually brings God down to their level. It puts God's faithfulness in question. Did you hear that? It puts God's faithfulness in question. That's deadly. And the Apostle Paul knows that God has always been faithful, he is faithful, he will always be faithful, and anything that puts that faithfulness in question is a deadly myth. And he says to the people, no way, don't believe that. It's wrong, it's false. 
Second myth that the Apostle Paul calls to their attention there goes like this. My unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly. Now, this is kind of twisted, okay? And basically what it says is that the worse I am, the better God looks. So if that's the case, then God, why would you judge me? God, I'm doing you a favor. I'm making you look so good. So when I'm unfaithful, when, when I'm unrighteous, when I'm evil, when I sin, God, give me a pass on it because I'm really making you look very, very good. And again, the Apostle Paul knows this is a myth. And for his people to be believing it is going to be deadly for them. And he says, no, absolutely not. May it never be. Now, why do I say that these particular myths that Paul brings up here are actually deadly? Well, simply because when a person believes these, what they're doing is they're turning the table on who's really in charge. What they're saying is that, that I can actually have an impact on some attribute of God. What, what I do or don't do can actually make God less faithful than he really is. Or it's, or it's saying that, that by me being evil, it actually makes God look better. So ultimately, who's the influencer there? Is it God or is it us? It's us. It's us. It puts us in the driver's seat. Both of these myths put us in the driver's seat. And when the Apostle Paul confronts these, he realizes that, that his people, some of these people reading this letter, think that they actually know better than God. And that is getting us onto very dangerous grounds. Paul also knows that when we call into question any one of God's attributes, we're calling into question all of his attributes. If maybe God is something less than completely faithful, maybe he's something less than completely loving. And then we've really gotten on a slippery slope. So Paul says, no, stop. Don't even go there. Now, before we get too judgmental on the readers of this letter that Paul wrote and point too many fingers at them and what they may be believing, we also need to understand that we have our own spiritual myths that we have the tendency to believe. And I believe if the Apostle Paul was writing this letter today in 2013 and he had us in mind as the recipients of this letter, he might change these myths a little bit and make them a little more updated and modern. I don't know too many people today who go around saying, I'm going to be as bad as I can to make God look as good as he possibly can. I don't know that that's a myth that really is a big problem for us today, but we have our own. We have our own. And there's several we could look at. I would like to just look at one this morning. Just one to call to our attention. And maybe I chose this one because it it really hits home for me. And it is simply the myth that says, I'm okay. That's it. That's the whole thing. The myth that says, I'm okay. And it's a deadly one. I think there's several different manifestations of that. One of those manifestations goes like this. Basically, I'm a good person. 
I mean, come on. Basically, once you get to know me, once you see my heart, you'll know deep down inside I'm a pretty good person. No, I'm not perfect, but I think, you know, at the end of the day, God's going to say, Kevin, there's a whole lot more good in you than there was bad. I'm going to give you a pass and everything's going to be fine. Basically, I'm a good person. You may or may not know this, but um, I, I enjoy riding my bicycle, uh, but recreationally. I'm not one of these hardcore guys that wears gear. But I like going out and riding my bicycle. I like to get to know my way around and stuff. And it's just something I enjoy doing. And more than once, I've gotten into this scenario. Here it's happened. It's happened back when we lived in the New York, New Jersey area. I would come up to a very busy intersection. And I'm out in the traffic lanes. I would look ahead at multiple lanes of traffic and the signal lights and stuff and say, you know, I don't want to deal with it. And I just get off my bike and I get on the sidewalk and I wait with the pedestrians to cross when the little green safe to walk sign comes up. More than once, I found myself standing there in the intersection, waiting for the light to turn, and I've noticed there's somebody else there next to me. And maybe it's an elderly person who's kind of walked slowly up to the intersection. Maybe it's a nanny pushing a stroller. But what I notice about them is that they're very anxious. They're looking across six or eight lanes of traffic, people making right turns on the green, and they're obviously uneasy about crossing this street. And you know how it goes. You know, the light turns green, you take two steps out into the street, and all of a sudden it starts flashing red at you. What do you do? Do you turn around and go back? Do you wait on the island in the middle? You know the drill. And so what I've done in this case, uh, I've turned to the person and I've just said, let's cross together. They probably won't take both of us out at the same time. (laughs) And sometimes I get a little laugh from the person, but they always appreciate it. And so I slow my pace down, and I'm pushing my bike, and it's kind of big, and I'm six feet tall, and I've got a bright-colored shirt on, and nobody can deny that somebody's crossing the street there, and I'll just slow down and walk with this person. I don't care if the light turns red. I just stay with them all the way to the other side of the street. Now, when I tell you that, what do you think about me? Oh, he's basically a pretty good person. You know, he's alert to what's going on. He kind of puts himself out there for this individual and, you know, does the Boy Scout thing and walks this person across the street. But what if I tell you that when I'm walking across the street, I start thinking, huh, wonder who's watching me. (laughs) Those people that are waiting for the light to turn green, I wonder what they're thinking as they see me slow down and walk with this elderly person across the street. And it gets worse. I wonder if anybody who knows me (laughs) is in one of those cars. I know a lot of people around here. I wonder if somebody knows me who's sitting there and thinking, that's Kevin. Look at that. (laughs) But it gets worse. (laughs) What if they tell some of the other people who know me (laughs) what they saw today? And do you see where my basically I'm a pretty good person has gone? It's gone to pride, it's gone to ego, it's gone to my need for people to like me and to notice what I do. And if there was anything good I did when I walked that person across the intersection, it's nullified by about three or four times. I can't convince myself I'm basically a pretty good person. I know what's going on on the inside. Another manifestation of the myth that says I'm okay goes like this. In comparison to... Yeah, you get that, don't you? Jesus got it. Told a story one day about a Pharisee, a religious leader, 
who went into the temple to pray very publicly, out in front of everybody, praying out loud, God, I'm such a good guy. I do all this good stuff. I tithe to you, and I do this and that, and I keep the feast. And God, I'm so thankful I'm not like that guy over there. Okay, we we can always compare ourselves to somebody who to us seems deficient in a certain area from where we perceive ourselves. And in comparison, I'm okay. I'm okay. uh, Doing marriage counseling for a couple, several months ago before we came here to uh, Washington. And I did like four sessions with him. And I think it was like driving home from the second session. I was driving in the car and I was just thinking, Kevin... You are like the best husband on the planet. <laughs> you are. Your, mar- your marriage to Linda is the best. Because, I mean, this couple was like, they, they would bite at each other, the body language, the rolling of the eyes and throwing the head back, and pfft, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I thought, man, Linda and I never do that to each other. I am a really darn good husband in comparison to how I perceived him to be a husband to his wife. In comparison, I'm okay. But notice where we look when we compare ourselves, right? We never look at somebody who we see doing a whole lot better than us in a certain area. We find somebody that we don't think is doing as well as we are, so we feel like we're okay. The last manifestation of the I'm okay myth is simply this. Look at me. Just look at me. I mean, come on, look at me. I'm put together. Look at my marriage. Look at my family. Look at what I drive. Look at the house I live in. Look at the vacation. You know the drill. We put the externals out there, the appearances out there, so people who look at us think we're okay, and after a while, we start believing it because other people think we're okay, so we must be okay based on our appearances. Just look at me. You will know that I am okay. But when I believe I'm okay, when reality I am deeply flawed and very needy, I have fallen victim to a deadly myth. And it's interesting in this passage that we looked at today, the Apostle Paul doesn't emphatically say why these are myths. He doesn't give the rest of the story. He doesn't doesn't explain it. He just says no. Don't believe that. But at the same time, he doesn't leave his readers hanging there. Which brings me to my second and final point in this sermon, which is truth. Truth. And when the Apostle Paul started this passage, in the first two verses, he brings forth a source of truth. And he says in verse 1, What advantage then is there in being a Jew, or of what value is there in circumcision? Much in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. When Paul says that the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God, he's referring to the Old Testament. When God chose this particular group of people to be his chosen people, and he entrusted them with the truth about himself, about his relationship to them, and about how he wanted them to live. But he never gave that truth to the Jews to hold on to it. 
He made that very clear with Abraham in one of his early conversations. Abraham, I'm blessing you to be a blessing to all the nations. And you and I are here today. We have the truth of the word of God in our hands today because the Jews did what they were supposed to do. We, church, now have been entrusted with the very words of God. A myth will always flourish in the context of of ignorance. I believe something about umbrellas in the Pacific Northwest that was based on ignorance. The truth always dispels the myth. And the Word of God creates a context of truth. In terms of the myth that Paul addressed about people questioning God's faithfulness, the Word of God points to the fact that God is always faithful. In the Old Testament, when God rescued the Israelites out of Egypt and he promised to bring them into a land he'd prepared for them, God was making a promise to them and and his faithfulness said he would keep that promise. As we know, those of us who know the story of the Israelites, they were completely unfaithful during their journey from Egypt to the land God promised. They they were 99% plus unfaithful to God along the way, and a whole generation of them died off in the desert in the 40 years they were there. But God was 100% faithful in that that he brought the next generation into the land he had promised the Israelites as a nation. It didn't matter how unfaithful the Israelites were. God was completely faithful. And Paul would say to his readers, don't ever question God's faithfulness. It is unchanging. And in terms of, of the myth that I chose today, the I'm okay myth, where, where I say I'm basically a pretty good person, stick with us for a few more Sundays here. We're going to get later on in chapter, thir- chapter 3, Paul's definitive word on the fact that I'm not okay, that I'm a very needy person. And on my own, I'm lost. I'm hung out to dry. I'm not okay. The word of God is going to confront that. And then in, ter- in terms of us comparing ourselves to others so that we can feel okay about ourselves, real easy for me to compare myself to another husband who is struggling at any given time. But how easy is it for me to compare myself to the truth of God's word when God says to me, husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In comparison to that, I am the sorriest husband on the block. The truth of God's word dispels the myth that I'm okay, that in comparison to somebody else, I'm doing pretty good. So if the word of God is our safeguard against deadly myths, my question for us today is how are we doing with the word of God? How are we doing in relationship to the Word of God? It has been entrusted to us, and it is extremely valuable, and it is extremely powerful. How are we doing in relation to the Word of God? Parents, how are you doing with your children in relation to the Word of God? Do your children or your grandchildren hear the Word of God from you? Do they experience the fact that the word of God is powerful and important in your life? 
you've been entrusted with the very words of God. Spouses, how are you doing with each other in terms of the word of God? Is the word of God a topic of conversation in your marriage? Is it something you share with one another and encourage one another with and challenge one another with? It's been entrusted to you. What's your relationship with the word of God in your marriage? Friends, how are you doing with the word of God when you hang out with your friends? Is it a topic of conversation? Is it something you use to encourage and bless and challenge one another? Is it something that you even talk about? You've been entrusted with the very words of God. And I acknowledge today that there may be some of us here today who have no relationship whatsoever with the word of God. You may not even own a Bible, or if you do, you may never open it. I'm just delighted that you're here today. If that's the position you're in. And I, and I hope that the words of the Apostle Paul here will stimulate something in you to say, you know what? I, I do need to take God's words more seriously. I, I need to engage somehow with this book. And if you are in that situation, let me encourage you not to do that alone. Seek out somebody who's maybe a little further ahead of you in this journey. Talk with them and say, hey, could, could we... Could you tell me how you approach the Word of God? Where do I start? What would you suggest that I read? We we can do that for each other. And if you're in that situation, there's at least 100 people here today that can give you a good answer to that question. Because this is a church where most everybody has a great relationship with the Word of God. But I think all of us, myself included, can take that up a notch. If you don't have a relationship to this word of God, give it a chance. I don't think you'll be disappointed. If there is a God in heaven who loves us deeply, and if that God wanted to communicate his love to us, and if he chose to do it through this means here, his very word, we ought to give this some very serious attention. Otherwise, We'll just keep on believing the myths, and many of them are deadly. In this passage today, Paul warned us about our tendency to believe dangerous myths. But he's also revealed to us the primary source of myth-busting truth, which is the Word of God. You and I make a choice every day what we're going to do with this Word that he has given to us. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, I thank you that you knew exactly what we needed, and I thank you that you presented it to us in a way that was exactly right for us. And God, my prayer today is for myself and every one of my sisters and brothers in this room today that you will give us pause to consider our relationship to your word. God, we know our tendency to believe myths. We know our tendency towards being deceived. But we know, God, that your truth is the antidote that we need for that. And so I pray, Lord, that you would just reveal to us, open the eyes of our hearts to how we can engage more deeply with you through your word this place that you have revealed yourself to us. In Jesus' name, amen.